Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of the Dayson Digest. I'm Travis Jones, a liaison clinical pharmacist with Dayson, and I'll be the host of this podcast episode. The title of this episode is Strategies to Optimize Outpatient Antibiotic Prescribing for Urinary Tract Infections. And this episode is being recorded on Thursday, May 20th, 2021. So I wanted to begin with a little bit of background information. I think we all are well aware that urinary tract infections or UTIs are one of the leading indications for antibiotic use, both in the inpatient and the outpatient settings. And inappropriate use of antibiotics for UTIs is very common, both in regards to whether or not antibiotic therapy is actually indicated, for example, asymptomatic bacteriuria, and whether or not the most appropriate antibiotic and duration of therapy is prescribed. As you may know, the Joint Commission standards now require hospitals to address outpatient antibiotic stewardship. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Jason Funero, a clinical pharmacist at Duke University Medical Center, specializing in outpatient parenteral antimicrobial therapy, or OPAT. Prior to serving as Duke's OPAT pharmacist, Jason completed a PGY-1 pharmacy practice residency and a PGY-2 in ambulatory care here at Duke. His primary research project during his training examined the effect of an outpatient antimicrobial stewardship intervention on guideline concordant antibiotic prescribing in the primary care setting. As a quick note, the full study can be downloaded on the same website you used to access this podcast episode. Welcome, Jason, and thanks for agreeing to join me in this podcast episode. Absolutely, Travis. Excited to chat with you today about outpatient stewardship and our research. Thanks for inviting me to join. Absolutely. I think our members will really enjoy hearing about your efforts to optimize outpatient management of UTIs at Duke. So to kick things off, can you share uh, a brief overview of your study, which was published this week with our audience? Of course. So as you mentioned, inappropriate use of antibiotics for UTI is really common. I mean, whether that be the antibiotic choice, duration, um, unnecessary treatment for UTI, So what we sought to do was evaluate and optimize the antibiotic use at two of our outpatient clinics here at Duke. Um, One was a primary care clinic and one was an urgent care setting. Um, Essentially what we did was compile two years of urine culture data from each clinic to develop a urine source antibiogram that was unique to each clinic and specific to each of their patient populations. Using those antibiograms that we developed, we applied the IDSA UTI guidelines to develop pocket cards with clear diagnostic criteria for UTI. We also provided recommendations for which patients required antibiotic treatment and which did not. And then finally gave specific antibiotic recommendations, including dosing and durations of therapy. So our study intervention consisted essentially of two phases. Um, We had a phase one time period, which was a one-time education, kind of give that education in clinic and let it sit and see what the response was. Um, And then a phase two routine data data feedback portion. Um, So for the phase one portion of our study, we presented our newly developed guidelines and pocket cards and our recommendations in person, of course, in the pre-COVID era, um, and gave that education to clinic staff over the course of about an hour at both clinics. Um, And it generated some really great discussion with the primary care and urgent care providers. We also provided these resources electronically to the clinic staff um, via email so that they can refer back to it during their UTI visits. Um, After about a year or so after doing that education, we then began the phase two of our intervention for our project. Um, And essentially we represented these materials in person to the clinic providers and discussed the phase one findings of our um, clinic-wide prescribing patterns during the phase one portion of our study, 
and then began to email data feedback to providers um, on a monthly or quarterly basis. And that data um, included information on their antibiotic use, um, the diagnosis rates for UTI, and then the percent of guideline concordance that they had in each clinic. And so we defined that guideline concordance as the rate of first or second line antibiotic choice um, as based on our UTI treatment guidelines that we provided to them. Um, for the primary care clinic, we then took on an additional aim to also disseminate provider-specific feedback and peer comparison reports um, based on their fluoroquinolone usage so that they can see how their prescribing habits compare to the other providers in the clinic. We collected data on all adult patients seen for a UTI-related visit, which was based on ICD codes, um, at either clinic, and specifically focused on visits where antibiotics were prescribed within five days of the encounter. For our primary outcome, we looked at the rate of guideline concordant antibiotic choice, again defined by those treatment guidelines that we developed. And then we also looked at a number of secondary outcomes, which included the number of UTI diagnoses, rates of treatment failure, um, antibiotic adverse events, and also what we refer to as four-factor guideline concordance, which is essentially also evaluating um, the antibiotic choice in addition to antibiotic dose, frequency, and durations of therapy prescribed. We evaluated that primary endpoint of guideline concordance and all our secondary outcome of UTI diagnosis rates using an interrupted time series approach. And then the remainder of our secondary outcomes were evaluated using manual chart review on a small random subset of 4% of patients from our study. That's so interesting. I like the component where you present peer comparison data. I think it's perhaps one of the best ways to, to use data to drive change. So in reviewing the study, I noticed that the site-specific guidelines that you developed for the primary care site versus the urgent care sites were slightly different. Can you tell us about the key differences between uh, the recommendations at those two sites? Yeah, of course. Um, so what was what was interesting, actually, is that these two clinics are physically located in the same plaza and only is separated by a wall. But the antibiograms that we pulled from those two years of urine culture data were actually noticeably different, um, particularly when it came to E. coli, which is obviously the pathogen we're most concerned about. Um, we found that the primary care clinic had a better susceptibility profile for our UTI therapies. And so we were able to recommend um, nitrofurantoin, the oral beta-lactams, and trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole as our first and second line therapies for cystitis. For urgent care, since E. coli strains were overall more likely resistant to ciprofloxacin and trimethoprim sulfa, um, we actually avoided these agents altogether for cystitis and really emphasized the use of nitrofurantoin and the oral beta-lactams. For pyelonephritis along the same lines at urgent care, we suggested an adjunctive intramuscular dose of ceftriaxone in combination with the fluoroquinolone or trimethoprim sulfa, whereas the primary care clinic actually could just get away with an oral fluoroquinolone as their first line of therapy. That's so interesting that you commented on, despite the fact that these two clinics were kind of physically next to each other, that the, the antibiogram actually showed different data. And that's something I've seen too at some of the hospitals that I work with and creating ED-specific urine antibiograms and how they're sometimes different than the, the inpatient urine antibiogram. So I think that's a pretty cool approach um, to have different management strategies based on the antibiogram, of course. And I, and I really like the idea of, and I, I don't think you can go wrong by you know, giving the physician a choice to select an agent that they want to use, but only including a list of, you know, the most appropriate antimicrobials that they should prescribe to their patients with UTIs. Jason, can you share a few of the key takeaways or results from the study? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with your point about giving options. I think that was one of the ways that we were able to buy or get some buy-in with the providers in clinic is that we weren't, you know, specifically stating what they needed to prescribe or what they needed to do, but actually give options and give our recommendations and help guide them to appropriate therapy and more narrow spectrum options. And I think that's the best way to do it is, you know, still give them the decision, but make sure that the list of agents that they can pick from are best. Well, you can't go wrong by developing an order set or a treatment guideline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to your question about some key takeaways from our studies. So after that initial one hour educational session that we did in the phase one of our project, um, we saw a pretty um, substantial increase in the rates of guideline concordance by 22% across both of the clinics. Um, so we were definitely excited about that change and promoting more narrow spectrum agents being used for UTI at our clinics. Um, however, on the flip side, after we gave that um, educational intervention and we sort of just let it be, um, we noticed that the rate of concordant, guideline concordant antibiotic choice decreased by um, decreased every two weeks after the intervention was provided. And we observed a, a slow trend back towards baseline habits over that year where we just let the education sit and not give um, supplemental education. On that same token, after we went back into clinic about a year later, we repeated our education and began routine data feedback and gave those peer comparison reports to the primary care clinic during that phase two of our study. The rates of guideline concordant prescribing stabilized and we no longer saw that trend back towards baseline prescribing habits, um, which just goes to show the, the importance of ongoing stewardship and engagement with providers. Across our study period, alongside the guideline concordance change that we saw, we also observed a 52% reduction in fluoroquinolone use, and therefore a shift towards narrower spectrum agents for UTI, such as nitroferantoin. Um, along with this, we also saw a reduction in the number of treated UTIs by about 21% after implementing our phase one intervention, and this remained consistent throughout the study period. Since we emphasize proper diagnosis of UTI during our education, we think that this reduced number of treated UTIs was related to um, providers not treating asymptomatic patients. Although we can't say that for sure based on our study methodology since we didn't specifically review these encounters. Interesting. I, you know, the numbers are remarkable. After a single one hour education session, you were able to increase guideline concordant therapy by 22%. And at the same time, as you mentioned, uh, reduced the number of UTI diagnoses by about 21%. Um, it's remarkable. And it sounds like routine data feedback was key in maintaining these efforts long-term. So knowing what you know now after studying the effect of these interventions, if you had to design you know, this study or an intervention from scratch, what do you think you'd do different? Oh yeah, I mean, after seeing our findings, it is pretty clear that data feedback seems to be the key. Um, as nice it would, as it would be just to provide education, say you did a good job, wash your hands and leave, um, we, we have seen that these interventions don't sustain themselves. And that's something that's also been reported in other outpatient stewardship interventions. Um, so th there really does need to be these ongoing efforts to maintain continued engagement with providers. Um, I'll say that one of the things that we would consider doing differently, um, you know, due to the sheer size of the urgent care clinic and the way that we were giving our feedback reports, we unfortunately weren't able to implement provider peer comparison reporting to those urgent care providers. Um, the feedback that we received from the primary care group when we gave these peer comparison reports was really overwhelmingly positive. 
um, you might think going into it that providers might not want to be compared to each other. They might find it you know, offensive that you've got someone watching over you. Um, but providers really enjoyed seeing how they stacked up and it made them really think introspectively about their own personal habits and you know, why is my fluoroquinolone prescribing rate so much higher than, than my colleague? And it made them really reflect and think about that. Um, since the urgent care clinic had a lower rate of concordance at baseline compared to the primary care clinic, I would have been really interested to see how we might further influence prescribing by implementing this level of peer comparison reporting at our urgent care setting. Um, I will say, though, that you know, while this tactic with monthly and quarterly feedback reports was successful for maintaining engagement with providers, it was pretty challenging to maintain at times without dedicated resources, and it can be pretty labor intensive. So I, I think the next step coming from this study is to really try to hone in on what degree of data feedback or um, education is really necessary to keep clinicians engaged in stewardship without really needing more hands-on and higher level of effort with um, the specific data feedback reports that we were providing at the beginning of the study. Yeah, it's not like you could ever dedicate a full FTE to uh, provide data feedback, but it's interesting you bring up the um, the the idea or the thought that maybe the physicians wouldn't want to see their data compared with peers. And, you know, I kind of had the exact same experience as you on the inpatient side by doing hospitalist prescriber feedback reports. You know, initially we would take it to them blinded and almost every single time they would immediately say unblind it. We want to see how everyone else is prescribing antimicrobials. So I think it's funny that we kind of had that same experience, but in different settings. Right. So transitioning a bit, I think, as you know, many of the hospitals in the DASON network may not have the time or the resources, such as like, you know, pharmacy residents to implement uh, interventions to the, to the degree that you were able to in this study. So if you were working with a community hospital that was interested in optimizing outpatient antibiotic treatment and prescribing for urinary tract infections, what single intervention do you think would give uh, hospitals in the community setting the most bang for their buck? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really great question. And I think it, it's one of the most important things to identify here is what's the sustainable intervention that, that we can keep doing. Um, I mean, as we mentioned, there was a lot of manual labor that went into our stewardship intervention for this study. Um, and it certainly isn't practical for all centers. But I think there were a couple of great nuggets that we identified from this study. Um, one great thing to come from our study is that we've actually started to collect data on individual provider fluoroquinolone prescribing patterns. Um, and this is something that's pretty easily obtained from our medical record. Um, and it stemmed from our provider-specific feedback reports. And, and we found that the fluoroquinolone prescribing data is pretty easy to pull. It, it was beneficial for providers to see their own fluoroquinolone prescribing habits. And it didn't require much manual data manipulation or evaluation. Um, as I mentioned, we've started doing this here at Duke, where we look at fluoroquinolone prescribing in the outpatient setting and are in the early stages of developing peer comparison reporting based on fluoroquinolone prescribing. As I, again, as we mentioned, you know, the importance of peer comparison reporting. And so that's that's the goal and intent is to look and see how fluoroquinolone prescribing compares from provider to provider and making them see that comparison. Um, this doesn't require that same level of detail that we were doing in this study by saying, you know, this prescription was concordant or this was appropriate or that was not appropriate, but instead incorporates those behavioral modifications and allows providers to think introspectively about their own prescribing habits versus their peers, rather than us needing to actually look and see whether or not it was appropriate. It 
sort of forces them to think that, you know, have that introspection. And, and we found that it is pretty effective at changing behavior and sustaining that behavioral change. Um, I'll say though that even more simple than that is one of the interventions that we attempted to do in our study, which is um, hanging patient-centered posters in the clinics. Um, these posters that we created were modified by those um, that were originally designed by the CDC movement to help providers be antibiotics aware. Um, and these post posters have demonstrated that, you know, saying the provider has a commitment to appropriate antibiotic use and using them only when indicated um, actually significantly reduces unnecessary antibiotic prescribing on its own. There's a really great 2014 study by Daniela Meeker and colleagues um, that showed that these just hanging these posters and doing nothing else actually reduced the rates of unnecessary antibiotic prescribing for acute respiratory, respiratory tract infections in the outpatient setting. Um, unfortunately, here we ran into some hiccups with being able to post the signage in high visibility areas in our clinic. Um, but assuming that other institutions can get past that, um, that communication barrier and getting the signage posted, um, it seems like a really easy win for outpatient stewardship. I agree 100%. And I, re I recall uh, reading that study. Um, and I think the authors might have commented that they, they posted some of these signed commitment flyers in um, the actual exam rooms while the patient's yep. sitting in there. They were able to see the physician's statement that they they are not going to inappropriately prescribe antibiotics, and you know a lot of a lot of physicians I think in the outpatient setting are fearful that if they don't prescribe an antibiotic when a patient wants it, then you know their satisfaction scores aren't going to be high. But you know there's another study looking at patient satisfaction as it relates to an antibiotic prescription, and what they found was that there was no link between the patient's satisfaction and the antibiotic so long as the prescriber took the time to say to them, look, I, I, I believe that you have a viral infection and in the setting of a viral infection, an antibiotic prescription might actually do more harm than good. So it's all, it's all fascinating. So thanks for sharing your, uh, your advice to some, um, our days on uh, community hospitals. Uh, we really appreciate your input, Jason. Um, and I'm certain many of our hospitals in Dayson can implement similar interventions to those that you just mentioned to really optimize the outpatient treatment of UTIs. So that wraps up today's podcast. Again, Jason, thank you so much for joining me in recording this episode. Thanks for having me, Travis. It was good chatting with you today. Absolutely. And, and thanks again for the helpful and insightful advice that, that you've shared with us. As a reminder for everyone listening, we record new podcast episodes every other Friday. So look out for our next episode on Friday, June 4th. And until next time, take care.